Good morning, good morning, and welcome everybody good to morning, Metro Praise morning, International Church. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. Who's excited this morning? There you go, there you go. I'm Pastor Berto, one of the pastors here on staff at MPI Church. We want to thank you for joining us here, and we really appreciate your presence. If we can all please stand as we get ready to get into the presses and worshiping the Lord. We like to start our, uh, every morning with a testimony, and this morning we got our brother Andrew Sianski. Let's give him a hand as he, come, as he comes up. Hey everybody, how's it going? I'm Elder here, Andrew Sianski, as he just said. Um, I just want to testify to God's goodness, his, his faithfulness. Uh, my wife, Lauren, if she's here, and I are expecting our fourth child. So God's good, man. Um, it's, it's been amazing. Childbearing is awesome. I recommend if you guys haven't tried it already. Find a wife, find, uh, find the one whom your soul loves, and then uh, procreate. So <laughs> I'm going to read scripture, if that's not awkward enough. Uh, Psalm 127, verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. And I, praise God, I'm only turning 30 this month. So four children, I think I'm in a, a good spot. So Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this day, God. I thank you for everyone here. I ask that you bless each and every one of us, Lord. God, I pray that your worship will touch hearts, your word will carry us through this week, Lord, Father God, and that we'll always, Lord God, keep you at the center of everything we do, from childbearing to ho our home to our jobs, Lord God. Let you be the center of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Keep your hands together.
proclaim my love for him. Let's do that again. And he has paid the highest price. And he has proven his great love for me. And I will praise him with my want to proclaim that you are our king of kings and lord of lords god and that we can proclaim your love for us with our lives god and god that you will be the king of all kings and the lord of all lords because that is who you are but god we ask you today to be the king of our hearts that we may know you, that we may seek you, that we may find you, and that we may be changed, be made whole every day moving forward from the most mature Christian to the the most, uh, the baby Christian, God, the one who's just seeking faith and trying to find it, God, because you make yourself known to all and you are intimate with all and you are the lover of all, God. So I pray that you would be the king of our hearts that we would serve you boldly all the days of our life. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, here's my song, cause you are good, good, oh, you are good, good, oh, you are good, good, oh, you are good, good. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my song, cause you are the way 
inside my veins, the echo of my days. Oh, he's my song, cause you are good, you're good. Oh, you are good, you're good. Oh, you are good, you're good. Oh, you are good, good. Oh, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let you're never gonna let
come on. Some of you guys have to soak this moment in just a little bit longer. Come on, let's just be present right now in the presence of our King. the instruments right now. Come on, guys, press in. Sometimes it's not always about singing the words or getting louder. Sometimes you need to be present in the presence of God in your spirit. The Bible says that he's looking for worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's not looking for the loudest worshiper. He's not looking for the next best song. He's looking for worshipers who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I want you right now to be present in this moment, in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind. And I want you to worship the Lord just in silence right now, just focusing on him with your thoughts. We're going to sing again. We're going to worship again. But some of you have to get a revelation of the love of God that is in this room. And it is for you today. Come on, if you've been doubting the love of God, I want you to lift up your hands in this room. Lift up your hands. Let his love penetrate your heart right now. Jesus. Come on, let's sing, pull me a little closer. Let this be your heart's prayer today. Pull us closer to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we need you. We know you're here. We want to meet with you today. Let your love penetrate our hearts. Come on, lift up your voices all across this room. This is the greatest desire we could ever have, the greatest love we will ever experience. Lord, we worship you. I want to open up the, the time right now to let the Holy Spirit move. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit here. Now I feel like there's a word in the house today. So if you feel led to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, we're going to be still right now and listen to hear what the Lord would have to say to us. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are listening, Lord. Have your way. Speak.
Hallelujah. Come on, cry out to him this morning. Jesus. Jesus. Our healer. Our redeemer. Only you give hope. Only you bring purpose, oh God. Come on, there's some brokenness in this room today. And God is here to mend your heart. Some of you need healing in this room. Some of you guys need your destinies to be set into motion. Call out to the name of Jesus today. Come on, let's sing. Whoa, how great it is his love. Come on, shout it from the rooftops. Come on, declare this over your life today. so great. Jesus, we worship you today. We worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. We want to know your love. Your love is greater than wine. Your love is greater than life. Your love is greater than anything in this world has to offer us, oh God. We give you the glory today, Jesus, and we thank you for ravishing our hearts. We thank you, oh God, for being our king, for coming to die on the cross so that we can live life to the fullest. We thank you today, Jesus, and we pour out our love for you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Woo! Hallelujah. You guys can turn to your neighbor, shake their hand as you find your way to your seat. Woo! Hallelujah, Jesus. The ushers are going to begin passing out the elements for communion. I want to welcome all of you to Metro Praise International this morning. It is our practice that the first Sunday of every month we partake of communion together as a family. And the reason why we do this is because we want to remember the Lord. We want to remember what he did for us. And that's what he told us to do, to partake of communion together and to do this 
in remembrance of him. So I want you to keep that in mind as the trays are being passed through. And I'm going to begin to preach this word to you this morning. Remember what the Lord has done for you. And no demon in hell could ever change that. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. And every day we must live lives of thankfulness and gratefulness for the love of our Father in heaven. I'm going to preach this message to you. It's a very simple message of salvation. For those of you who are in this room, we want to give you an opportunity to get right with God. Whether this is your first time stepping into a church ever hearing about Jesus, or you've been to a couple churches, you kind of know about the Bible, or you grew up in a Catholic church, I want you to hear the message of salvation. And I want you to receive it and let Jesus come in. Don't resist him anymore. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus left the glory of heaven to come to earth, to become like us, to come and seek and save us. Because we were the ones that were sick. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, Jesus said, when he was walking this earth. It's the sick who need a doctor. And the whole human race was infected with a sickness called sin. And it was only the blood of Jesus that would cure it. And he took our place on that cross because of his great love for us. He came to seek and to save the lost. And this salvation is made available for you for free. All you got to do is receive it. And you have to live your life his way. So with all eyes closed all across this room, I want to give you an opportunity to get right with Jesus today. He's knocking on the door of your heart, the Bible says. And if you open the door of your heart, he will come in and commune with you. Lord, I thank you for every single person that has the opportunity to hear this message, the message of your grace, the message of your great love that you came to seek and to save us. You came looking for us, Jesus. I pray that they will know that they have not been forgotten this morning that you know them by name, that you have engraved them on the palm of your hand and you want them to live for you. I pray that today they receive your salvation that was purchased for them on the cross at Calvary. We thank you for this salvation. I pray that today they would choose to know you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You guys could stand up to your feet with me. In just a few moments during the fellowship time, we're going to have prayer workers up here. I want you to feel encouraged to come on up and receive prayer. If you know you need to get right with Jesus, they're going to be able to pray with you and let you know how to become a disciple in this church. So we really want you guys to take uh, this moment to receive prayer and find out how to do that. Amen. Let's partake of the communion together as a family. You guys could hold the wafer in your hand. I'm going to pray for it. Lord, we thank you for this wafer that represents your body, your body that was nailed to the cross, that was whipped for us, and the blood that shed from the crown of your head. Lord, we thank you for your body and the price that you paid for our sins, our sicknesses, and our sorrows. And we say thank you. We remember today. We wait earnestly for your return, O oh Lord. Let's partake of the wafer together.
Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Let's hold up the grape juice. Lord, we thank you for the grape juice that represents your blood that was shed for us, that washes us clean, white like snow, that heals our wounds, God. We thank you for your precious blood that has allowed us the opportunity to become adopted sons and daughters of you. We thank you for your blood today, oh God, and the power that it brings. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the grape juice. Hallelujah. The band is going to lead us in worship. Let's press in one more time as the ushers come to discard of the elements. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, oh God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise one more time. Bless his holy name. Woo! We love you, Lord. Praise him. Let's recite our confession of faith. We recite this every week because this is our Christian worldview, and we want to shout it from the rooftop. So if you're with me, let's recite it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo! Why don't you guys hang out, greet somebody you don't know, give somebody a handshake and a hug.
All right. Who's excited they came to church today on this beautiful snowy day? It's already begun. I love it. Welcome, everybody, to Metro Praise International. We're so thankful that you came to join us. You guys can find your seats now. Give out your last handshakes, your final hugs till after the service. Welcome, everybody. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. So we have King's Kids in the back for our children ages infant to 11 years old with the best children's workers. And then we have Elevate. <laughs> 7 p.m. every Friday. That's what you have waiting for you on Friday nights. So if you know anybody in that age group, this is where they got to be on Friday nights. So if you've never visited Elevate, you are missing out. They're on fire for Jesus, and they want to win their high schools for Jesus. So that's our youth group. Check it out. Friday's at 7. Who's excited about our Christmas concert coming up? Two more weeks, December 18th. Everybody's going to be displaying their talents for the Lord. So it's our Metro Praise International Christmas concert for both services. We're so excited. Uh, the children will be performing their songs. It's going to be an awesome time. So please, please take this opportunity to invite your friends and family to a special Christmas service. It's going to be amazing from the beginning to the end, the worship the talents that are going to be presented to the message is just going to be an awesome time and really encourage the people around you in this season to really put Jesus first because they always say Jesus is the reason for the season. So if that's really true, they'll put him first by coming to church because the only gift that Jesus needs is the gift of your presence, CE presence, okay? You being present here. So invite them. Let's fill this place out. It's going to be awesome. So check out our Facebook event page. Start tagging in your friends and family, people that you know in that. Click going if you're going and share it like crazy for the next two weeks. Does that sound good? Let's do it. MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people. Our strategy is to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism, to pr keep preaching the gospel to the lost around you. And then our goal in doing all of that is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get a what, what? All right, look to your neighbor say, get connected. We want to connect you to our life groups. The handout that you just received, we have our full schedule for this quarter of life groups. I want to encourage you, find a place to belong with you and your family. Here's a snapshot of the life groups happening this week. Kicking it off on Tuesday is our Resistance Elevate Life Group. They're super duper excited. 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. meeting here at the church. Powerful time for our young people. Wednesday is our King's Kids Life Group for our children. Infants to 11 years old, awesome children's workers. They're excited. Bring your children here every week at 6.30. We have Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club, blowing it up for Jesus, discipling the next generation. Thursday, our gang outreach goes out, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. meet here at the church. Friday, two adult Bible studies for you, one at the Govea's house, the other one at the Vivids, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Don't miss out on that life group. Get encouraged by the word of God and your brothers and sisters in the Lord and get rejuvenated throughout the week, all right? Then we want to mentor you. We want to mentor you 
through our 101 and 201 books. If you're new here, we believe in discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship is our passion. So we really want you to get connected and then get discipled. We have so many leaders ready to take you through the 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. You're not meant to live and walk this journey with the Lord alone. They're there to encourage you, to teach you, to push you forward, to be all that God has called you to be. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, disciples that make disciples so you could be trained to be a leader in the church. One day you'll be ordained as a deacon or an elder here, and that is an honor to really work in the house of the Lord to bring glory to God and win our city and the nations for Jesus. Then we want to send you out. Somebody say send. We want to send you out to do evangelism. We believe in street witnessing. Every Saturday we meet here from 5 to 8, hit the streets, different neighborhoods around the city, preaching the gospel. If you've never done it, do it. It will change your life, okay? So in a recap, MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people, a strategy to connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Can I get a hallelujah? Come on, Jesus. Who's that excited to give their tithes and offerings now? Come on. Let's get into our giving lesson today. MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our total income. We give that regularly to the church. An offering is an amount between you and the Lord that's given above the tithe, after the tithe, which we designate towards missions and towards building funds throughout the year. So let's get into our lesson today. Lesson seven, overcoming impatience. Oh, okay, so that's our lesson for today. The definition of hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. So impatience is a hindrance that we have to deal with and give it to the Lord. We're going to be reading from James chapter 5, verse 7. If you're there, say, I'm looking. Let's read. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Somebody say patience. Let's read the three main points. Number one, be patient. Patience means to bravely endure times of waiting. The good farmer cannot become impatient with the, with the seeds he planted. He must bravely endure the time of waiting because if he tries to gather his crops too early, he will lose his harvest. That is a great lesson to apply to our life. So many times people give up on God and throw in the towel because things are not happening fast enough in their life. And that is not the kind of life God wants us to live. We are with him in the long haul through this journey of life. And one day is better living for him than a thousand good days without him. So let's learn the lesson of patience. And as we're sowing seed in our life, trusting that God is going to bring that harvest in his timing. Amen. Number two, the Lord is coming. Just like how we are patiently waiting for the second coming of Jesus, we must be like the farmer and patiently wait for our financial harvest. Say, my harvest is coming. Come on. Number three, valuable crop. Remember, as surely as good seed in good ground with good weather under the care of a good farmer will produce a good harvest, our good God will reward our good seed with a good harvest if we bravely endure the times of waiting. So don't be afraid of waiting seasons. It's building in us the character of God. It is bringing us closer to him. And impatience will be a stumbling block in your life because it shows that you're not trusting God for that next season, for that next day, and you're scrambling around trying to do it yourself. Just let go and let God, okay? 
So here's a summary. Be patient and waiting for God to bless you. Three ways you could apply this to your life. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after the tithe. Number two, repent if you have become impatient with God. And number three, ask God to teach you how to be patient. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit. It's made available to you. Apply it to your life. The Spirit will lead you. Let's confess this over our life together on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Let's stand up together this morning as we prepare to give the Lord our best today. Again, a tithe is 10% of our total income. An offering is anything above that that you can give towards missions and building. On the envelope, just be specific about the amount that you want to get uh, put into each category. Here are four ways you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Griselda for that if you would like. And number four, you could go online and use Chase QuickPay. PayPal or bill pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your abundant provision in our life. And Lord, if we have been impatient, I pray that we would repent today. We repent before you right now, Lord, and I pray that you would instill the fruit of the spirit of patience in our life, that we would continue to sow good seed into good ground and be patient for that good harvest because we trust that you are a good father. So I pray that you bless the seed today. Bless and prosper your people. Let it multiply to further your kingdom on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Come on forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity. All right, how many are ready to worship Jesus with the Word? Somebody say, bring it! Do you know that when you participate in the worship service from beginning to end, it's all worship to the Lord? So whether you're singing or hearing the Word, this is worship to Jesus right now. The Bible says he looks for worshipers who seek him and worship in spirit and in truth. So when you're hearing the truth and you're believing it, you're worshiping God. How many are going to worship God with me as we hear the Word? Amen. 
Amen. How many think the, uh, the ladies did a good job with the worship band today? Let's give it up for them. They, um, they had to fill in for Adam. They did great. Well, we're going to continue on in our John series, John chapter 6. I want everybody to turn there with me, John chapter 6, verse 16. Homework assignment was to read John chapter 6. How many did your homework? All right, more of you. Amen. Now, this week coming up, you're going to have the most uh, homework assignment you're probably going to get in this series. It's going to be a few more chapters you got to add in there. But uh, today's message is don't be afraid. Everybody say, don't be afraid. Or look at your neighbor and say, don't be scared. Don't be scared. I could have put it up there, and you guys probably would have got it right. But I just wanted to be a little bit sophisticated for some of my educated folk up in the place that expect more from me. But, uh, you know, we got to look at the Word of God and apply it to our lives. And I've been teasing about going through this um, going to this message uh, about Jesus walking on the water, that we would go to the lake and try to see if you had faith to walk on water. And how many, <laughs> yeah, you want to do it. I was going to say, how many would, would be so scared if literally we went to the lake right now, you saw it look like that, plus all the snow coming down. So now you, you, now you don't just have the factor of, you know, you're going to drown if you don't know how to swim or whatever. Now it's like I could freeze to death, hypothermia. This could get scary really fast, couldn't it? But you got to use your imagination today because we're going to stay nice and cozy inside this church. But open up your Bibles there to John chapter 6, verse 16. This comes after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walks on water. Now let me go through the review really quick for those of you who are new with the series. You haven't been with us or you've missed a few. Uh, we're going through the signs of John all through uh, the end of the year here, all up until uh, the last couple of weeks of December. So we got two left and we got a Christmas uh, presentation going on. So there there they are. Now, when we look at the book of John, it's different than what we call the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so John is a unique gospel telling us new information. And these are the seven signs he writes about to teach us about Jesus. Now, if you look at them, these are the ones we've already gone through. Changing the water into wine, healing the royal official's son, healing the paralytic, feeding the 5,000. That was last week. And then today, Jesus walking on water. Now, your homework assignment is going to prepare for next week, healing the blind man. So now that means you've got to read John chapter 7, John chapter 8, in John chapter 9, everybody go, ooh, how many of you can spend 15 minutes reading your Bible this week, amen? You know, get your face out of Facebook and put your face into his book, okay? Put your face into his book and stop being on Facebook. I double dog dare you to put your face in his book. Y'all get that? Okay. And then we'll do John chapter 10 and 11 for our homework for the following week and go to the last one. Now look at this. Because we have the, um, that Christmas presentation in two weeks, I will not be preaching out of this series. So uh, next week I'll preach on healing of the blind man. We got December 18th, the Christmas concert. We'll have something special then. And then on Christmas Day, Christmas Day, our last message of the year, also the last message in this series will be on the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And I want you to prepare yourselves for this as you think about ending one year and living and starting a new year from dead to life. I want you to think about that as a part of you uh, starting a new year. And it's never too late to start a new season in your life, okay? So some people look at New Year's as a great way to start a new season of your life, but you can even start it right now if you want. So it's never too soon and it's never too late. Can I get an amen? 
And then here John uh, tells us why he, reads the, uh, why he writes the book. The Gospel of John is written for these reasons. At the end of the book of John, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So well, how many signs did John put in his book? How many? Seven. You all been paying attention, right? Okay, seven signs. What sign are we on today? We're on the fifth sign. Okay. He says that there's many other signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded here in this book, but these are written that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the what? The Messiah, the Son of God. Okay, let's go through this again. Everybody, these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the and the Son of God. Thank you. So this is important. That's why we're doing this. And that by believing you may have what in his name? Life. How many got life in the name of Jesus in this place? Amen. Mm, I'm excited to live for Jesus. Every day is a good day with Jesus. You can make your life what, uh, well, let me say it like this. You decide what your life is going to be. If you want your life to be all gloomy and down and nobody likes me and all of that, then that's what you will have, that you'll get just what you want. But if you come to Jesus, he will give you life and life more abundantly, full of joy and peace and righteousness, things that you have never even imagined can be going on in your life because of Jesus. And that doesn't even matter. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that everything on the outside is perfect because that's not going to matter as much anymore because of what God's doing on the inside. How many got life in the place? Amen? Okay, so today, let's go to sign number five. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Let's walk on the water with Jesus. John chapter 6, starting in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. So it has the name lake, and it's also the Sea of Galilee. So it's talking about the same place. Where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. But now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Somebody said they were scared. There you go. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Anybody hear that yet today? Has anybody heard that yet? What's the name of today's message? What did Jesus say to the disciples? I'm going to say it to you right now. Don't be afraid. Look at your neighbor and tell them, please. Don't be afraid. That's what's up. Don't be afraid. They were willing. He, uh, excuse me. They, he, they were afraid. He said, don't be afraid. Verse 21. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately, and you're going to learn that's another miracle, immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, we have been reading the book of John and every now and then bringing up the synoptic gospels as a complement to what John talks about. And so now what I need to do is bring in one of those books out of the synoptic gospels. I got to bring in Matthew because unlike some of our other stories where John really brings in new information, and we can fill in the stories of the synoptics. John does something very interesting here. He actually summarizes the story and makes it the shortest out of the other Gospels. And this is to give us the impression that he wants you to know that he's telling you this as a sign, but he's expecting you to have read the other Gospels to fill in what happened there. 
So John is expecting us to now look at the synoptic gospels that give us more information. And we'll talk about why I think he included this in his signs, but it wouldn't be complete unless we went to Matthew. Now, always remember this. When we're looking at the gospels, they're not contradicting each other. They are complementing each other. They are filling in each other like a surround sound. Think of four gospels as you would think of surround sound. If you have ever set it up, what do you do? You put a left front, right front, right rear, left rear. And then you got a little sub. How many know what I'm talking about? Surround sound. And you get that little sub sound. Does anybody know about surround sound? Maybe you don't. Now what does surround sound look like with boss and all that? Just one speaker. And then they say supposedly it's supposed to send out all those sounds and circle around you. I don't know if that's really happening. But people spend a lot of money on one boss speaker that's supposed to be surround sound. Now anyways, when you look at the Gospels, think of four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as I've said before, whenever John seems to be talking about a story that the synoptics already brought up, he's bringing in new information. This time it flips. He doesn't really bring in new information. He just tells the sign and excludes a lot of information. Why do I think he did that? Because this was probably one of the most popular stories going around about Jesus, and he was assuming you would have known what Matthew, Mark, and Luke would have written, uh, the preceding stories that went before him. And remember, the, the, the Bible time, many people were illiterate. Not everything was being written down. Most of the things were oral. So now let's look to Matthew. This is the longer story of what John is talking about. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Turn there in your Bibles as well. Look on your phone or just look up here because I want you to see it. Instantly, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. When he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, here's just an example. I just want to show you this where John does give us new information, but it's not enough to really fill in the whole story about Peter. But here it says they had went out a distance. But I love John because John tells us exactly about how much they went out. Do you see the difference there? See, Matthew said they went out a distance. So John does, once again, give us new information. But it's not uh, the information that is the entire story. But he's always going to compliment Matthew or, or the other ones. Okay, so they go out a great distance, and they start rowing. And uh, the waves, it says, they went out from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. Everybody say, say, take courage. Thank you. Take courage. Now notice Matthew adds this in to where uh, John did not have that. So I love how they're just complimenting each other. I'm not going to emphasize this much more today, but I want you to get how they work together. All John says is, don't be afraid in his in his um, recollection of what Jesus says. But Matthew says, Jesus said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now let's just once again deal with this contradiction issue so you can get it in your heart if, every, if anybody ever brings this up to you. If they say to you, what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, it is I, don't be afraid? Or did he say, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid? See, they'll try to make a contradiction between the two recollections, won't they? If you talk to a smart person, they will. If you talk to a person that really wants to make you look dumb, they'll try to do that to you because they do that to me all the time. So what are you going to say back to them? Uh, I don't know. Maybe the Bible was wrong. Is that what you're going to say? No. The simple explanation is he said what is longer. 
He said what is longer. Whenever we're summarizing, it doesn't mean he didn't say take courage. We're just emphasizing what he did say. Now, where it would be a contradiction is if he said, be afraid. We're all going to die. Abandon ship in John. And then in Matthew, it says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. See, that's a contradiction. If I was to summarize my conversation with uh, you, if I hung out with you, I may only take certain portions of it, but you may take other portions. So if you go home to, let's say Ish and I are hanging out, Ish goes to his wife, and his, and, and his wife asks him, what did you and Joe talk about? He may say, Joe and I talked about guns. We talked about this. We talked about that. And that's very true. We did. But if my wife says, what did you guys talk about? I, I could say, well, we talked about old times, all of our memories of the past. Is there a contradiction? No, there's not. Are you guys up today? Is anybody even paying attention? I just, do I need to grab a seat here? I feel like I need to become your professor for a minute. You all come to church just wanting to have a good time, but sometimes you got to learn in church. Sometimes you got to learn. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going to be here a while. I'm going to get comfortable. <laughs> I'm going to continue preaching once I see you get some points here. How many Gospels are there in your Bible? Okay, there's four of them. What are their names in order? Okay, now we're, we're getting somewhere. Okay. What are Matthew, Mark, and Luke called by theologians and Bible students? Synoptic Gospels. Okay, good. We're, we're getting there. Okay. Now, when we look at the Gospels and we see what, what seems to be differences, look at what John says Jesus said here. This is what he said Jesus said. John is writing. He's a disciple. Matthew is a disciple as well. They're both eyewitnesses. John says, Jesus said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. What did Matthew say that he said to them? Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Is that a contradiction? Okay, so if someone was to come to you and go, which one is it? Which one is it? I want to know. This is the perfect Holy Bible. You believe it's the perfect Holy Bible, right? There's no mistakes. There's no, there's no errors. There's nothing wrong with this. Well, then why does John say Jesus said this and Matthew said this? And this is where you have to now explain to them. They are recollecting, and we believe this is divinely done by the Holy Spirit, but they are recalling what the Holy Spirit wants them to say in summary. And so if I'm summarizing this amount of conversation and Ishmael is summarizing this amount of conversation of us going out for coffee and hanging out, that is the same way the Holy Spirit can do it. So whenever we look at these kind of summaries, we always take more information and go, we can count on that was what it was and the other one was was probably summarizing more. Let me give you another example. How many blind men get healed if one portion, if one story says there was one blind man that get healed, and then another story says the same exact thing, but it says two blind men get healed? Is that a contradiction, or how many blind men got healed? But the one gospel writer just told you about the one. Just told you about the one. We got about 150 people in church right now. If I go and talk to one of my friends today, that are, it's a fellow pastor of mine. He's in town and visiting. And he says, how was church today? And he said, I say, it was great. And I tell the story about one or two conversations that I had. Does that mean there wasn't 150 of us here today? 
No. And so here's another example. Jesus is talking a whole lot. Do you think like when we read the Bible, this is all Jesus is doing? Like, like he's walking on the water, he's having this little conversation, and then he just gets in the boat and he's just like the whole entire time to shore. Like he's not talking. No, he's talking. Does everybody get it? He's a real person. He's talking. And so there's going to be different things that come out. There's going to be different gospel writers that talk about what he's talking about at different times. And then other times when you look at portions of the story uh, of the Bible and he tells stories a little bit differently, that's okay because when we tell stories, we emphasize different things differently. Uh, we, if we want to, like, for example, if we want to tell you about that, that, this is not in the Bible, but I could use this as an example. If I'm telling the Good Samaritan story over and over and over and over again, there may be different ways I tell that to emphasize different parts. Maybe there are certain times I want to emphasize emphasize how the Good Samaritan was kind and compassionate, and maybe then there's other times I tell it, and I want to show you how bad the others were for not taking care of him. Do you get that? And so, and, and other, and this would get more complex, but I don't want to get into it, and some of Jesus's teachings, like the Beatitudes, there's words switching around, and they're not contradicting each other. Jesus is just re-emphasizing uh, in different ways the things that he's taught. So how many got their Bible lesson? Okay, amen. I care about the Bible. You care about your Bible? It's the book for me, the B-I-B-L-E. Thank you for, you are just the man today. Thank you for appreciating that extra time. So Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now here we get into Matthew's recollection. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come on the water, come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was what? He was afraid. What did Jesus already tell him? Take courage, don't. Be afraid. So once he got afraid again, he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You little of faith, he said. Why do you doubt? And when he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then there arose, uh, then those in the boat worshipped him. Somebody say they worshipped him. Thank you. And then they said, truly, you are the son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Ger Enneset. Ger Enneset. That's my best way of saying that word. Does anybody can say it better? Genesaret. There we go. Thank you, sir. I can hardly speak my language, let alone another language. How many of you are bilingual, trilingual, quadrupolingual? God bless you. You're my heroes. I saw, it's, it is funny because, like, seriously, I have a friend from Germany that would come and visit me for seminary, and we'd be doing studies. And this is how crazy it is. I'm asking my German friend how to spell English words. I'm like, how do you spell this word? But that's, that's how some people are. They just see it all. I don't do that. Okay, now I want everybody to have my last little lesson on John and the Gospels here real quick. You know what's amazing about this? is that today's scholars try to discount the book of John because they say, you know, John is so unique because John starts off with calling Jesus God and, you know, it puts all of this, like, theology into the books of the, of the Gospels. And when you look at uh, the rest of the Gospels, Jesus is not really God. He's more of a prophet. But I want you to think about this for a minute. In the Gospel of John, it starts off telling us that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Does everybody remember? we went over this okay so that is true that the gospel of john start differently where do the other gospels start start with the christmas story don't they that mary gets pregnant you know an angel visits her but john just starts off with being god but here's really cool i just want to say this last thing about this wouldn't you think that if john was coming later than matthew mark and luke trying to now embellish make up stories because he has such what they call a high christology such a high view of jesus don't you think he would have counted into his recollection the part 
part where they all worship Jesus as the Son of God? He lets that be. He doesn't even bring that up. That is one of the most important scriptures you will ever use if you are talking to a Jehovah Witness or a Muslim, someone who does not believe Jesus is God. They may say Jesus was a good person, Jesus was a prophet, show me any place where Jesus was worshipped or called God. And when you show them this passage and you say his disciples worshipped him, he wasn't just a mere prophet, he wasn't just a, a, a good man, he is worshipped, that blows people's minds. And then what blows their mind is it's found in the book of Matthew, not the place where it starts within the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It comes into a narrative in Matthew, so it shows you there is no embellishment, there is no changing. It is natural for these disciples to think about Jesus as God no matter how they start their stories. One starts the story him being born of a virgin, but yet here, Matthew, that same guy, he now has Jesus being worshipped as God. Do you know that that would be idolatry, punishable unto death in the Jewish culture and as a matter of fact you know that's why they killed Jesus because he claimed to be God hello somebody and so it's amazing that you see that there let's get into the breakdown somebody say break it down Okay, so let's look at it. John's gospel gives us the shortest account of Jesus walking on the water, most likely because he knew that people were aware of Matthew and Mark's accounts in their gospels. It's after the miraculous feeding, Jesus sent the disciples ahead of him so that he could pray by himself. Somebody say, pray. I got to pray. I got to pray. I got to pray to just, to just make it today. I got to pray. Something like that, right? Pray. There you go. Thank I kind of lost the rhythm. I found myself out there, and I had to do something, so I kept going with it. When he saw the disciples struggling to row in the midst of the storm, they saw Jesus, uh, while the disciples, rather, were struggling, they see Jesus coming on the water and were afraid. Now, everybody look up at me, please. You may look at this picture right now. And you may say, man, pastor, I don't think I would be afraid, you know. I'm not really uh, that afraid of water. I can swim and all this. But, I, you know, if I was talking to a fisherman, even though there's not a lot of big waves right here, a fisherman would look at this different. Because the first question that they would ask you is, what kind of boat am I in, pastor? Because if I'm in a 20-foot boat with motors and all of this, these waves aren't nothing. This is, this is not a big deal. But, pastor, if I'm in a wooden rowboat... <laughs> I'm scared. Now get this. The Bible says these men were scared in this boat. Most of these men were fishermen. So if a fisherman gets scared on a boat, how many know things are not going good? How many have ever been on a plane before? How many know if the stewardess gets scared and start white-knuckling their seats, you know you in for something? Like if there's just turbulence and they're just walking around, oh, a little turbulence like that, that's okay. If you see that stewardess strap in, Dude, you know it's time. You know, you know you better start saying your prayers, do, do your thing. Come down, Jesus, help me, Lord. You're going to throw up everything you can, anything you can that works at that moment. Because you know if the stewardess is scared, we better get scared. They are scared. Why? Because they are on a wooden little rowboat. They are three miles out in the middle of this lake, like the Lake of Michigan, a huge lake, 600 feet deep. This lake is where they are at. Now, the next thing that we then see is that they see Jesus walking on water, which then blows their mind because to sailors, if you're out on the water and you see a ghost, that means it's time for you to die. Like you are dying. Like, you're, like it's time for you to all hug each other. The ship is going down. We're seeing the afterworld. We are not making it out of here. So think about yourself being in that position, and then now Jesus identifies himself, and he says, take courage. Don't 
be afraid. Now, I just got to say this for a second because I was thinking about some of these signs the other day, and, and I literally started like thinking like Jesus is playing some, some jokes, practical jokes with us from what we did to him in the Garden of Eden, okay? Now, I want you to follow me on this. I'm not a comedian, but this really got to me because I'm, I'm thinking about this. So, you know, we're in the Garden of Eden. We're living for God, Adam and Eve. You know, we'll just Paul put ourselves in that position, male, female, whoever you are. Think of yourself, Adam and Eve. We're there. We're living for God. We sin. And then Jesus comes looking for us, and what do we do? We run away and hide. We take fig leaves, try to cover our nakedness, right? And I can just see, like, Jesus saying, now I've got to come down here and die on the cross for you guys. I've got it. You guys messed this up. I gave you a perfect body. I gave you a perfect place to live. Y'all ain't got no excuses, and you still listen to this stupid serpent, right? Just follow me here. And then he says, and I got to come down here. Okay, now watch. He says, now that I'm down here, I'm going to mess with you guys. I'm going to mess with humanity. I'm going to tell you to head out on a boat in the middle of a storm. And fishermen know you don't do that. You, these guys could read weather patterns. They would know a storm was coming. They weren't stupid. If a storm came upon them as they were out there, that means they must have left when it was storm time. But Jesus says, y'all just go on out there and you handle your business. And they are out there in the middle of a storm going, why in the world are we out here? What's going on? And Jesus, to mess with them, comes walking on the water and purposely purposely scares them. And so I'm just thinking, Jesus has got to have a sense of humor. He's like, y'all brought me all the way from heaven to be here. I've got to do something to save your sorry behinds. No, I'm not kidding. He didn't say, yeah, I love you. He says, i got to save your beautiful behinds. I love you guys. But I'm going to mess with you as much as I can while you are here. So I'm going to show up on water, look like a ghost while you're about ready to die. And then what I'm going to tell you is don't be afraid. That's my message to you. Now listen to how this comes across to Peter. Because when Peter hears that, he's, I mean, dude, he's thinking, I ain't got nothing to lose. You are walking on water. We are all about ready to die. So Peter goes, man, if it's my time, it's my time. Call me to go out there to be with you. That is this man's mindset. How many of y'all would be like Peter? Well, if it's time, let's go. Let me see if I can do this now. Call me to be with you if that's really you. He's not even sure if it's Jesus. I'm so serious. You could just imagine what the people in the boat must have been thinking about when Peter starts to step out of the boat onto the water in the middle of this entirely scary, sketchy situation. You know, and don't even get me started about Lazarus, because some of y'all got to read the story about Lazarus. But Jesus is just mad. I'll just say this, because I don't know if I can tell the little joke thing about him. But Lazarus is dead, and he tells his disciples he's just sleeping. Could you imagine being the disciples, and they're like, your best friend just died. And Jesus is like, no, he's sleeping. He'll be all right. <laughs> and then just think about that. And they're like, no, he's like dead, dead. No, I'll be fine. And then you know what Jesus does? He waits three days to go see him. He's like, I'm going to go help him. And then when we get there, they say he stinks, he smells. I mean, Jesus, you could just tell. I'm not saying disrespect anything to Jesus because I love Jesus. But you can almost just see like he has a sense of humor when he's coming down doing these miracles. Just like just once again, think about the 5,000. There are 5,000 men, 20,000 people. He looks at Philip and goes, why don't you feed them and do something? This blows my mind because I'm like, think, I, I, this all came together. Like, imagine me going to the grocery store, having my child just pick out whatever they want. You get whatever. It's all these. We're going to make it rain today and all these. Like, three carts for $100. Seriously, I'm going to fill up all these carts just for $100. At Jewel, I'll spend $100, come out with one bag. I'll be like, 
how did I just get this badly ripped off right here? How did this happen? But anyways, imagine this, and then me looking to my daughter, all these grocery carts, all these things, the, the cash register has done the whole thing. They're ready to, you know, to go, and people are behind us, and I look at her and go, why don't you pay for this? Why don't you just pay for this? You pay for it, you know? Where can I get money? You take care of it. I mean, that's how Jesus is talking to us. He asks a sick man who's been sick 38 years, do you want to get well? Do you understand? I think there's a part of a sense of humor that Jesus is having with us because he had to come down to earth and die for our sins. Can I get an amen for that? Like I said, I'm not a, a comedian, but I'm just thinking about this because I'm like, that is so wild that he put him out there on the storm, walks on the water. They're as scared as can possibly be. And he's still doing this because he loves us. Now watch, Peter gets out, and here's the beautiful thing about it, is Peter walks on water. Now everybody always remembers the part where he falls and he gets scared and all that, but this man literally walked on water. And I said this last week about the 5,000. you got to ask yourself this question, do I believe this? Because if all you see this story as is something like a, a good little mythological like cat in the hat type thing that has a, a life meaning, then you're missing this. I literally believe Jesus walked on water. How many believe that? I just want to know if I'm alone here. How many believe that Peter literally walked on water? Okay, so now the moment we believe that, we've got to now live in the 21st century and not be looked at as crazy. Now, I don't, I'm okay if people persecute me and they say, well, you know, Christianity uh, doesn't have, um, you know, it, let's put it this way. Somebody may look at us and say, I don't believe in miracles, and Christianity has all these miracles, so prove miracles to me. You know, I understand there's people who doubt, but this, this is the thing that I want us to ask, first of all, as Christians. Are we the doubters? Because sometimes we can come to church and really pretend like we believe this stuff, but all throughout the week, we don't really live like we believe in miracles. It's almost like a Christian atheist mindset. Like we're a Christian here, and we believe there's a God somewhere out there, but like tomorrow, man, that God can't change my world. There's no miracles going to happen on my job. I'll never, you know, see these kinds of things. And so then we live with the mindset almost like there is no God. Like I have to make all this happen for myself. And so I wanted you to think about this. First of all, do I believe this? Now, the second thing is, you know how I would explain this to your friends? It's so simple. The more that we have studied science, the more that we prove God. I'm being honest with you. The more we study science, the more we prove God. In the ancient world, they would have just saw water. It's just water. Man is man. They wouldn't have understood that we now know quantum physics. In quantum physics, we're all made up of the same particles. Everything is made up of the same particles. And now they have theories. One of the big ones they have is called string theory. And that's about all I know about it is it's called string theory. I'm not going to try to get deep here. But the whole idea is, is that the entire known universe, looking at microscopes, shares these particles. So now, what is it to God to arrange the particles to fit his proper need at that time? If we believe Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God, four words. If we believe those four words, in the beginning God, then now everything is possible. All particles are are things that God has created to be held together. What properties they have, God has allowed them to have those properties. If God inserts his power over those properties to multiply bread or to walk on water, is that too hard for him? Let me ask you a question like this. Let's say you are a student doing animation at a college or maybe creating video games. In one of your video games, you create a character. And you say, this character is so cool, he can walk on water. Would it be hard for you to use your computer to create the character on the computer to walk on water you created in the computer? How hard do you think that would be? As a matter of fact, why don't you just demonstrate your ability to do that right now? Look at your notes. Write a stick man. Draw a stick man on water. Young man, you have some paper and pen. Is that hard for him? 
Who's our creator? Who's our creator? Who created water? See, just as the video programmer uh, or the, uh, the uh, illustration person can go into their program and create a cartoon character to walk on water that is cartoon and all of those things, why can't the God who created water, created man, create man to walk on water or allow him to do that? He is our creator. Now think about it like this. In your cartoon world, let's say you're doing the Simpsons thing. Could you make in the cartoon of the Simpsons a man that every time he reaches into a basket, he pulls out bread? In the cartoon, every time he reaches in, he pulls out bread. In the cartoon, could you not do that? Could you create that in a cartoon, yes or no? Do I have to sit down again? Has the snow just put you guys all to sleep today? It's snowing outside, Pastor, and I just don't want to think about this stuff. Particles, I don't want to think about that. Just talk to me. Just preach to me. Tell me how happy I should be. Come on, you guys got to think today. You got to think. Use your thinker. If you were the creator of The Simpsons, you think every time, think, think about it. Every time Bart goes into a basket, he pulls out bread, goes into a basket, pulls out bread. Why can you do that? Because you're the creator. You're the creator. You're the manipulator of that program. You control what that program does. You define the properties of that program. You have the pen. You have the code. You have the software. Who holds the software to particles? Who holds together all the things that we know? Who is the one that created something out of nothing? Who is the one that said, let there be light, and there was light? Let there be a star system, galaxy, universe. Let there be land. Who said all of that? So let me ask you a question. When it comes down to people believing in miracles, is it that it's illogical, or is it that they're hard-hearted? See, it's not that it's illogical. There's nothing illogical about miracles. Matter of fact, it's the most logical thing to believe. My creator creates. My creator can do in creation whatever glorifies his name. He is all powerful. He made the particles we see. No contradiction. So if you don't believe in uh, miracles, it's not because you can't believe. Like, I believe in science. I don't believe in God. Well, listen to me, my ignorant friend. I believe in God, the one who created science, okay? Because otherwise, it always comes back to this, and I've said it before, and it's good to bear repeating here because this is the beating drum of our culture. This culture wants to tell you during this Christmas season, during the History Channel uh, little show, you know, you'll be scanning through the channels and be like, oh, something about Jesus. And you're like, oh, let me watch it. But it'll be a whole thing about debunking it. You know, Jesus really wasn't born of a virgin. That's impossible. Who would ever believe that? And Jesus didn't walk on water. It was just a trick. As I've studied some of the people's beliefs, it's like because the storm and the waves were high, they couldn't see that Jesus was actually on the shore next to them because the waves were high. So it was just an illusion. See, that's what they'll say. And then what they'll tell you is that you Christians who believe this are dumb because we believe in science. But here's where it comes down to. If we don't believe in God, then where did all the particles come from? If we don't believe in God, then where did the known universe come from? Evolution cannot create anything. None of that can create nothing. Nothing comes from nothing, nothing comes. And so we believe in a God who said it, bang, it happened, and then he's here among us. The designer is there among us. So now, just, I mean, this is the mind-blowing thing. Y'all ready for this? Get your mind blown. Because here it is. If the computer is our example, Jesus enters into the computer 
with his same creative powers. That would be like the person who created The Simpsons to come into the program of The Simpsons and maintain all of his power. Now, that's impossible unless you're watching The Matrix or Tron or some sci-fi movie. But that's literally what Jesus did. Jesus took on flesh, put on an earth suit, stepped not only into our world, but another dimension, another way of existing. It, was, it would be literally like you being a 3D object to going to a 2D animation. Jesus stepped into that world, maintained his power, walked on water, and I believe it. Can I hear an amen? That will just give you something to think about later. So then Jesus comes in the boat with Peter soaking wet. And, you know, at that point, once again, we don't have all the words of Jesus. At that point, Jesus probably, you know, drying them off, telling them you'll do better next time, something like that. He calms the storms. His disciples worship him. How many worship Jesus as the Son of God here? Amen. And once Jesus was in the boat, another miracle occurred. Now, this is the unique thing of John. Matthew and Mark, don't bring this up. They immediately reached the shore. They didn't keep rowing. It didn't take them a long time. They immediately reached the shore. Some of you might have missed it. Look at it again here in the book of John. Then when they willingly took him into the boat, and what? Immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, do you know that your Bible even talks about stuff like beam me up, Scotty? Do you, do you know that? Now, listen, you all think this is crazy? How many believe the Bible? First of all, I just don't think I'm making stuff up. In the Bible, in the book of Acts, there's a man named Philip. He's preaching to a man. After he gets done preaching, he is then transported to an entirely different place, transported physically. Now, think about this. 2,000 years later, we can at least imagine how it would happen once again with particles and how we see the uh, Star Trek science fiction movies. What do we see them? They become little particles, don't they? Everybody see that before Star Trek? They become little what? What do they become? Little particles, like little dust cloud thing, and then they just be rearranged somewhere else. Now, we understand that that's possible because science can possibly do it. But God is greater than our understanding because God created those particles, didn't he? Read your Bible. And so this God right here transports the entire boat. Let this blow your mind. I still believe in this stuff. You may just be like, Pastor, I'm sorry. You need to go back to watching Avengers or something. No, but this is real. They are in the boat. Jesus gets in the boat. Many, many people miss this. Read your commentaries. I'm not even making this up. These are in commentaries. They're in the boat. Ping. And they end up right there on the shore. That's it. Just let that settle in a little bit. Some of you are just like, I like singing soft songs to Jesus because I feel it here in my heart. But when stuff blows my mind, I don't like that feeling. Yeah, this, this will shake your worldview. Because if you're thinking in your world, once again, if you're thinking all of this is just the way it is and none of it can ever change, I'm a naturalist, excuse me, or a materialist, which believes materials are all that exists, then you don't understand the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is spirit, and spirit formed the world. So what came first, natural material things or spirit? So now, by the Holy Spirit, God is in the flesh. He is in the world he created made of matter and space-time. And he is saying, boys, you don't have to row no more. Row no more. I like that. Look at your neighbor and say, row no more. <laughs> row no more. There you go. Oh, row no more. There you go. And that's how they ended up at the other side. How many believe it? Can I get an Amen. Same principles. Now let's get to the application. Somebody say he's going to preach to us. 
Okay, that was the introduction. It was a long one, but bear with me now for the next hour. Like I told you, I got to keep you here for a little while. You guys made me do OT. You made me do OT, you know. Just kidding, half kid. 20 minutes, let's go. Here's the application. Let's make it real to us because right now nobody's going out to Lake Michigan walking on water. Okay, we know that. We know that's not happening. Let's make some applications. Number one, always make time to pray by yourself. Look to Jesus in this story. He just got done feeding the 5,000. He sends these boys off into a storm to go figure it out. What does he go do? Pray. Now ask yourself this question. When was the last time I made private prayer a priority in my life? If the Son of God in the flesh made time to pray, how much more should you and I pray? Think about that. Here is somebody who has always existed with the Father. He's always been at the Father's side. Jesus was not created on December 25th. Jesus just took on flesh December 25th. Does everybody get that? He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The first and the last. If this person, the person of the Trinity, known as the Son of God, the Word, made time to commune with his Father, how much more should we do it every single day? And, you know, you look at Jesus and you can understand why he would want to do that because he's looking around at the world that he created and he's saying, it's not the same without you. It's not the same without you, Father. What they have done to this place breaks my heart. I've got to connect to you every day. I've got to connect back to you because this is not worth living for. See, prayer puts your eternal uh, soul in perspective. This is not all that you have to live for. This is just temporary. And I thank God that we have temporary pleasures and benefits in this world. I'm thankful for the wife that I have, the kids that I have, the job, the things that we get to do here. But my wife and I were talking about this because we went yesterday to go see my friend, um, a, a mentor, Pastor Grogan, retired, and, and they had a lot of people. And he, he was there at that church for 39 years, almost a billion seconds and so many minutes and so many of this. They broke it down. But the thing that stuck out to me was 900 and so many million seconds he was there for 39 years, you know, serving these people. It's amazing. But my wife and I, we were thinking about it like that, you know, seconds, you know, like they're grains of sand. And yeah, maybe you could fill up right here uh, grains of sand with 900 million. Maybe a billion would fit just right here. But imagine the entire universe being filled with grains of sand. That's what it looks like, your life compared to eternity. Or if you just broke it down just more simpler, just imagine your entire 80 years, just one grain of sand, and then looking at an entire beach. See, Jesus understood the eternal relationship that he had with the Father, an eternal relationship. Somebody say relationship. Thank you. Prayer is based out of relationship. Look what Matthew 6 says. Jesus taught us this in Matthew 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will what? Rewards you. So we know right now we don't see the Father. Our physical bodies don't comprehend the spiritual realm. We are blocked by the sinfulness of our flesh. Just as if, if, if the program of the of Bart Simpson could come alive and be animated, they would not be able to see back into their creator. They could not see that world if they had sinned and maybe the webcam was shut off. Because of our sin, we have been disconnected from our creator. But the Bible says, go into your room. You make time to pray to him. Even though you don't see him, you pray. When was the last time you gave yourself the private prayer? That's the first application that we get from this is that Jesus made time to pray. I like to pray an hour a day with Jesus. I love to do it. 
I like to spend an hour a day with Jesus. I think everybody here can do that. If you think about your schedule and you say, man, I'm too busy to pray, Pastor, I'm too busy. You are too busy not to pray. In your busyness, you will become stressful. You will become full of anxiety, depression, worry, fear. You will find out very quickly what happens in life without daily communion with the Lord. If you say, I'm too busy to pray, you are too busy not to pray. In your times of prayer, you will see how God refreshes your soul, connects you to the spiritual world. We are always connected as born-again children. Don't get me wrong. I'm always connected to God. I pray in my heart and my mind everywhere I go. But there are times where I need to calm myself, to focus myself on Jesus and to only see the eternal path that he has set out for me. Jesus made time to pray. We should too. The next thing that we can take away from this is do all the good you can because we don't just stay praying. Jesus was praying and he told the disciples to go. So it wasn't time for them then to now have a prayer meeting. It was time to start rowing. So there is a time to pray, literally get along with God, and then there's a time to work. How many work for Jesus? How many do all things as unto the Lord? You get out there and you make it happen. How many are going to go to work tomorrow and make it happen? How many are going to, you know, Put out, put out your best effort. Do the best that you can. You're going to do all that you can. Can I get an amen for that? Christians should never be so lazy uh, that we're fired or being, uh, you know, put down by our bosses or told that we have our head in, our, in the clouds. We should be looked at as the best workers, the best bosses, the best companies, most innovative, most creative because we're Christians and we do it unto God. Amen. And what's awesome about these disciples is that they went out, man. They followed Jesus' commands. All right, we're going to go out there. And then you could just see it probably took them hours just to row a few miles. But they were obedient to Christ's command. He set them up. Yes, it's a little bit funny. But they did it, and they did it willfully, and they did it right. They worked hard to row those two or three miles. Galatians says in chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It is about time that some of you look at your neighbor and say, I ain't giving up. Come on, look at somebody and say, I'm not quitting on you. I'm not quitting on this. I'm not quitting on Jesus. A husband needs to look at their wife and say, I'm not qu ever quitting on you. You need to look at your children, children to their parents and say, I'm not giving up. I won't give up. I won't give in. I'm not quitting. I'm going to keep doing good. Well, what if your life turns into a storm? Row harder. What if you get tired? Ask somebody to row with you. Sing a song as you row. Work, whistle while you work. Amen. Don't give up. This is what it takes in life. Everybody knows this. It's not going to come easy. There will be problems. There will be times of suffering. There will be times where you feel like you've given it your all. And all you're doing is rowing in the midst of a storm. But Jesus says, don't give up. He says, don't give up. I want to encourage somebody here today. Don't give up. You show the Lord today that my heart is with you, God. Even if my strength fails me, even if my calluses give way and my hands start to bleed, even if sweat pours down my brow, I will keep rowing until you come to me, Jesus, or I get to that other side. It don't matter, Jesus. I'm not giving up. Too many people give up on the brink of their miracle. Oftentimes, we give up right before the things are about ready to change. I could tell you this all day, friends. I'm just being honest with you. 
I could, keep, I could keep you here all day. Let me just tell a couple quick stories. So, you know, a lot of single people come to this church, a lot of young adults, and I see it all the time. There'll be single people, and then they'll start to get anxious about, you know, dating and finding somebody to love. And then all of a sudden, they'll go back out into their past, find somebody to love. And then all of a sudden, there'll be like a new person that shows up that would have been perfect for them if they just would have waited for that person. And then I think about like how Jerry met Tony and how they married and Tony came through the door and, and Jerry was like, woo, I got to get that man. She was on hot pursuit of that man. No, I'm just kidding, half kid. But, you know, God sent Tony to be your husband. But I just think, man, if Jerry would have left earlier with some of the girls that had left earlier and left that campus, you know, left that place where she was serving the Lord, she would have missed that man walking through that door. You know, how often do we give up? giving our tithe, giving our offering because we see how tight the bills are. But God says, I'm about ready to lose something in your life. I'm about ready to do something great in your life. Don't give up. I look at my kids like this all the time. I mean, I know you do too, parents. You, you might test them the same kind of way that God tests us. They may have a dirty, filthy room, and you know they can't do it all by themselves. You know, like my kids, seven, eight years old, whatever. But you're like, you know what? You clean this up. You do this, and you just want to see if they'll take the willingness to do it. And after you watch them for about an hour or half hour, you come in and then be like, now let me help you. Right? Come on, parents. Can I get an amen? God is looking at our hearts and saying, you, you do what I commanded you to do. You show me that you want this. I'm not saying we're doing this to be saved. I'm saying we're doing this to be obedient to God's commands. Can I get an amen? The next thing that we see is that we need to learn to recognize Jesus. What was, what was amazing about this is that the disciples had been with Jesus so long, yet they missed the entire encounter with Jesus, and they, om they almost missed it, rather, because they had no idea who he really was. You can be around Jesus for a long time but not know who he is. And you can miss encounters with him. Look what Mark brings out. This one little nuggie that Mark brings out will blow your minds. Everybody look up at me, please. Come on, look. This will blow your mind. He was about to pass them by. Read that in Mark 6:48 when you got time. Jesus was so sassy with his walk on that water, his water walk. He was like, I'm going to freak you out, and I'm going to walk right by you unless you holler for me. Man, I love Jesus. Jesus said, if you want it, come and get it. That's what Jesus said. Hey, you ain't scared. Come on, get you some. I'm right here. And I think so often we think to ourselves like God owes us his presence or a miracle or blessing. And we're like, God, prove it to me. God, God, you said you would do. You prove it to me. And God's like, I'll walk right by you then unless you holler out like you want it. I'll just walk right by you. I'm telling you, God is saying to us, I will pass you by unless you want this. Now, remember, they got even more scared when they saw him because they thought he was a ghost, but at least they said something in the midst of their fear. But the point is, if we want to be real and take the lesson from the disciples, I'm not saying I would have done any different, but if we want to take the lesson, we should have been like, it looks like Jesus. It's walking like Jesus. That's my Jesus. Jesus. We shouldn't have been scared thinking it was a ghost with the wrong world view. The, the world view of ghosts and all of that was superstition of the fishermen. The biblical view is heaven and hell, spirits are either angels or, or, or uh, evil demonic spirits. People's spirits can't come back and forth and be on this earth. Do you understand that? They should have had the right biblical worldview and said, if that looks like Jesus, it's got to be Jesus. But we got to learn to recognize Jesus in our life. We've got to learn to recognize him. Where is Jesus right now leading you, trying to get you to go to? And if you don't recognize it, he is going to pass you right by. 
Oftentimes, God puts us in the midst of storms. He doesn't, he doesn't like the fact that we get scared, but he allows scary situations to happen around us, and he is waiting for us to call and recognize him, to, to call out to him. Where are some of your greatest encounters with God going to happen? The places where you're the most scared. At the funeral of the person you love, that's where you're going to encounter God. I was listening to Bill Johnson, an awesome man of God, an awesome man of faith, and he was talking about that when he lost his dad, because his dad was also a pastor, when he lost his dad, he, he, he got so uh, discouraged at, at that moment, so sad, like my dad is gone, but he said Jesus met him in that sadness and did a great work in his life that he never could have imagined, meaning God did something greater through the loss of his dad than he had ever experienced before with his dad. Because what is Jesus teaching us in the midst of our greatest losses? that I'm greater than moms and dads and sons and daughters. My mother lost her daughter because my sister drank and, you know, drunk and drive, whatever, you know, and my mother saw Jesus in a new way. All of this passes away, my friends. All of this is going to go away one day. So look at your trials as a perfect opportunity to see Jesus in a new way because that is what will remain. The next thing that we know, and here's the heart of the message, I got eight minutes to bring it to you, is that we need to take courage and not be afraid. That's where it's at. We need to take courage because it's not that scary situations will not happen in our life. Scary situations will happen. But wherever you are with Jesus, you have nothing to be afraid of. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 20. And this is what he said after he raised from the dead. This is what he promised all of us. So we can say this today. We can say this. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We can say God is with me and he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I'm going to take courage and not be afraid. God is with me. Now, sometimes we think it's kind of easy to say it here, like, okay, God's with me. I don't got a lot of problems in my life. But you know where I get inspired? Where people are suffering for Jesus Christ around the world. There were two young girls in Iran. They had gotten saved by some missionaries. And then they started handing out Bibles. Then the police began to hear about them. And they thought that there was an army of, a, of maybe 100 Christians because over the period of a year, these two small Iranian teenage girls handed out somewhere around 50,000 Bibles to the Muslims in their land where it was illegal. And the police were beginning to say, there must be hundreds of these Christians handing out these Bibles to all these, these uh, store workers in these people's homes. And they ended up arresting them. They found out it was just two girls who had courage and were not afraid. And then they tortured them and were about ready to kill them. And in those jail cells, in those places, these two girls, if you want the story, I'll send it to you. Facebook me. They said they encountered God in ways they never had before because they knew Jesus was with them. Read your Bible. It says, Paul and Silas were whipped like Jesus was with the cat of nine tails. They were whipped. They were thrown into prison. They were chained up. But around midnight, they started praising God. They started lifting up their voice, saying, my back may be hurting, but my spirit feels good. This world may treat me bad, but Jesus never has. Come on. And they started worshiping. God, you're good. You're awesome, Lord. I can't wait to meet you one day. And if that's tomorrow, I'm going to start getting ready now. I'm going to have a pre-party, Jesus. Jesus. And they started worshiping. And the Bible says he sent angels to knock open that jail cell and let them out. Come on, somebody. Don't be afraid. Sometimes you will face things, if you haven't already, you haven't lived long enough, but sometimes you will face things that all your natural courage will leave you. It will all go right out the door, and you're going to have to trust in God. You're going to have to trust in God. I don't want to scare anybody here, but there will come things in life and times in life where your own strength will fail you. 
And I don't want anybody to face those times, but they happen in life. Whether it's you dealing, like I said, with a sick child, some of the hardest things to watch is parents dealing with sick children. Or to go through the loss of somebody you love, somebody that you, you just cared so much about, and all your courage is left, or you lose your job, or you don't have the money to take care of your family, or people turn their back on you. You know, there's just a story again now about a girl bullied online who took the gun from her parents' home, went into their living room, pointed at her chest, and shot herself and killed herself right in front of her parents. The times we live in are wicked and depressing and sad. You can, you can find 101 reasons to give up or to stop trying or to live other than what God said for you to do. Or you can say, God is with me. I will not be afraid. I will take courage. Because then we see that we can worship Jesus for who he is. See, the reason why some of y'all don't want to worship Jesus now is because you don't believe he walked on water, met you where you were, and changed your life. That's why y'all don't worship him yet. Some of y'all just see him as cute Jesus. But I see Jesus right now as the Jesus that has met me in storm after storm after storm who has come into my boat. That's why I fall on my knees and go, I love you, Jesus, because there's nobody like you, God. When they all left me, when I thought I was going to die, Jesus, you never left me. That's when you know you can worship the Son of God for who he is. It's because you know what he's done in your life. You can't keep me from worshiping Jesus. There's nothing you can do to make me want to quit. Don't you remember the, Shad, the three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were in the Bible, uh, and they were, put in, uh, they were in a foreign land in Babylon. They were made to do all these things, you know, and work for the country that had kidnapped them. It would literally be like us, us being kidnapped and our children taken to China, and then they make us worship their false gods. But these three guys, they said, man, we're not worshiping this false god. They say, if you do not bow down and worship this false false God, we're going to throw you into the fire. And they said, man, we would rather die than become idolaters. We know who God is, and that's not it. And I just look at all of us bowing down to what we bow down to. I tease some of my friends, because you know I'm not a Chicago and I come from Indiana, but I tease some of my friends who are wearing all their Cubs champion stuff. I'm like, you're a champion now. You know why? You know why you're a champion? No, why? Because you wear a champion hat. You're a champion. Now, listen, I'm just teasing. I'm happy they won. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But that's what we feel like. We're, we're champions. We're champions. Like, what did you do? What did you do to become a champion? Well, I've been their fans for so long. You did nothing. You ate popcorn. You watched the guy hit a ball. He's a champion. Seven people on that field are a champion. I'm just being honest. <laughs> I got some of my sport friends like, you're right, but I'm still mad you talking like that. Like. You're making me upset right now. No, but I'm just being honest about anything. Like we all, we all ain't nothing. We did nothing. All of us fans here, we did nothing. And yet we make, and I'm saying, now, you can follow these guys. I, I'm okay with that, and the Bible's okay with that. But how often do we make these people idols? Like, like, like Baez is our idol now. Like he's so awesome. He's so, Baez will bust hell wide open if he doesn't have Jesus. Are you listening to me? Everybody you look up to will bust hell wide open. If Trump doesn't have Jesus, he'll bust hell wide open. Presidents have already been in hell, amen? Listen to me. Why are we bowing down to everything but Jesus? And here's the reason. Because we saw that guy hit the ball with his bat, but we didn't see Jesus walk on water. See, that guy impressed us. Oh, this boss, he's got so much money, he tells me to work on Sundays. And, oh, yes, Matthew, yes, Matthew, I'll work on Sunday. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Slap me upside the head, why don't you? Why? Because we become pimped. We become the slaves of this world. 
But yet we become hard-hearted when it comes to God. Oh, it's not my it's not my style to worship Jesus. I'm not really like that. I'm just I just come to church to listen to music. Some of y'all come after the music. Oh, it's not my style. You need to come for the music. You need to come for the praising and the worshiping. Because the Bible says if you don't praise and worship Him, the rocks will cry out in your place. Heaven is about praise and worship. You better get ready to praise His name. What did we even name this church by God's grace? Metro Praise International because he's worthy of the praise. If God's done something in your life, give him a hallelujah shout of praise. Woo! Hallelujah! Woo! I get excited when I think about what he's done for me. Come on up, Vinny. Y'all getting excited too. How many love Jesus up in this place? Y'all don't know. If you haven't met him like that, y'all don't know what we know then. Because people getting excited know him as the water walker. Know him as the storm calmer, the calmer of the storm, healer of the broken heart, restorer of the past and the the things that have been taken. We know him as our restoration. We know him as our life, as our bread even. He feeds our soul. I've spent enough time without Jesus to know I don't ever want to go to that direction again. And that's why, you know, I didn't want to focus a lot here about Peter walking on water because we can get so lost in that moment where we think Peter is our hero. But Peter was no different than any one of us here today that would have taken Jesus at his word. Everybody could have walked on water. That would have been a scene, wouldn't it? All the disciples walking on water. Just look at me, man, I'm moonwalking. Who knows how crazy that could have been if they just would have took Jesus at his word. Because Jesus was saying, I'm showing you I control this. I control the whole entire universe. I control every law, every particle. Not only is every hair on your head counted, every particle is in its place because of the God of the Bible. And let me just say this in closing here. God can shorten your journey. God can shorten your journey. Everybody look up at me, please, in closing. Just like how they arrived immediately at shore, Jesus can make things happen instantly in your life that would take otherwise years. Years. They would still be rowing on that boat right now, right? Just rowing. Oh, I'm just rowing, man. I'm giving it my best. Now, praise God, people give it their best. That's part of what we learn. Give it your best. But at some point, you got to learn how to rest. At some point, you got to realize, yeah, I can row. I can row, row, row my boat, but I can't give myself a happy marriage. I can bring my wife flowers. I can tell her I love her in the morning. But the only glue that's going to keep us together is God. Only God can heal my marriage. Come on, only God can keep my children. I can try to row, row, row my boat with my children and say, you're never hanging out with this person. You're never watching this. You're never watching this. When you're 18 years old, I'm going to put a tracker on you wherever you go. I'm going to put GPS on you. And we can try to row, row, row our boat to a happy family. Come on, somebody. Or God can take care of our children and do something instantly in their life where they never want to touch drugs. They never want to drink alcohol. They never want to date that person because God instantly changes their heart. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The question is, do we take God at His Word? Do we take Him at His Word? All the things that we see now cannot compare to the Word of God. The Bible says that heavens and the earth will pass away. That means heavens is the galaxies and all the universe will pass away. And all the earth will pass away. The heavens and the earth will pass away.
but your word, O oh Lord, endures forever. What God said will happen. And so don't walk out of here taking my word for it. That's what will disappoint you, is you take my word for it, and you say, well, the pastor said it. I must believe it because he was excited. He was shouting and hollering and sweating, so it must be true. No, that will last you about till you get to the parking lot. You can't take even your family's word. Like if you had a Christian mother or father or somebody in your life or your husband or wife been praying for you and they bring you to church, you just can't take their word. You have to get to the point that in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your dire situation where you think all is lost, all hope is gone, my strength has failed me. At that moment, in the shadow of death, you have to make a choice to say, I believe my shepherd is with me. His rod and staff are comforting me, and I will make it through this. I will believe. And my friends, you will find yourself. Can I get everybody to look at me in closing, please? Come on, hear me on this. I am not lying to you today. You will find yourself at the shore of the blessing of God, and you will look back on your life, and you will say, how did I get here? You will look back on your life, and you will say, how did I get here? I was driving yesterday with my five kids. We were in that car together, and I was thinking about this pastor and the great work he's done in my life and how God's done all of these things. And, and my wife was saying to me on the way home, she said, because I'm turning 40 this year, she said, I'm so glad you're turning 40 because I get to watch you grow old with the family God has given you. And I thought to myself, how did I get here? How did I get to have a wife like Nancy? I'm telling you, man, I would not be here. The Lord brought me instantly. 20 years have passed by, and it's like nothing, man. Five children, a home, a church, a job that I love. How did I get here? And that's when you, you fall on your knees, you worship, and you say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, all ye angels above. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And I just get in my heart today that some of y'all, you're looking at your storm, you're rowing, and you're just letting, it's like you're going to let Jesus pass you by, and you're going to wonder why you're still in that storm. You are literally going to wonder why. For three years, you're still there. For ten years, you're still there. And you're going to wonder why other people are reaching the shore, why other people are doing it. And you're going to think that God likes them more. Maybe this stuff don't work for everybody. And you're not understanding. It's because some of us, some of us got so desperate that we shouted out to him in the midst of the storm, even though we didn't know all the plan, we didn't know all about who he was. We just knew one thing. It looks like Jesus. It might be Jesus. Let's just take a chance and shout at him right now. I pray that some of you get your journey shortened today. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I pray that all of these young people here today get a shortened journey till you get to be 50 because we've seen too many young people die at 16 and 17 and 18. I pray all of a sudden you look back, you're 50 years old with grandkids, and you can say, how did I get here but by God's grace? Can I get an amen? Can we stand to our feet and give it up to Jesus today? Come on, give him the praise. It's all about him today. Amen.
Band, would you come, please? Don't be afraid. Have faith in God and live courageous in the storm. If we're going to die anyways, we might as well die fighting. If we're going to die anyways, we might as well have faith and be courageous. Let's not be like those who give up. Let's not be like those who lose their faith right before their miracle. Let's not give up, but rather keep our faith. Today I want to ask you something as the altar workers come. It's just would you put in an attitude of prayer, may close your eyes, or just, just put yourself right now on that boat. Come on. Use your imagination if you have to. And ask yourself this question, would I call out to him? And would I go walk on the water with him? Because that's what I need to do today. As scary as your situation is, God is bigger. Would you walk on the water with Jesus today? Don't just look at Peter. That's why I didn't want to focus on Peter today. I want you to put yourself in that boat. It's about you today and what you're facing in life. Just a few moments meditating in your own heart. Any way you have to right now, come on. Think about today's message, what you're facing in life, and whether or not you're willing to get out the boat, walk with Jesus, worship him, and let him shorten your journey few moments right now some of you need to start by just confessing your sins man you've carried so much of that junk in your life and you're wondering why things aren't going right you need to get rid of that to clear the path others of you you would say pastor I've been living right I don't have sin but I struggle with doubt I struggle with fear you need to surrender right now to the Lord do what all people throughout the Bible have done in their midst of their the midst of fear in the midst of their trials they gave up their fear to God they denied their fear deny yourself Jesus said take up your cross and follow me doesn't mean you pretend it's not there you just say nope denied y'all know what denies like some of y'all have used that credit card too much and it got denied you know what I'm talking about come on people over withdrew your bank account denied <laughs> come on that's what you need to do to fear right now. No, denied. You gets none. You have none with me, devil. I won't let fear take me out of my purpose. Now, all those who want to walk on the water with Jesus, not afraid, living courageous, would you raise up your hands and say, here I come, Jesus. Come on, here I come. I'm walking towards you, Jesus. I'm coming with my whole heart and my life, God. I'm coming with my family. I'm coming with everything I have, my dreams. I'm coming, Lord. I'm coming, Jesus. Right now, don't let anything distract you. A few moments right now with the King can change your life. A few moments with God can change your life forever. You're never going to let me If you believe it as you're praying, just sing out that simple chorus. You're never going to let me down. You ain't going to let me sink out here, Jesus. Even if I mess it up sometimes, you'll pick me back up. You're never going to let You're never going to let You're never going to let me One more time. You're never going to let you're never gonna, gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Just before we go right now, I want some of these altar workers to tell me the biggest fears that they're gonna face with Jesus right now with courage. Ishmael, I'm gonna start with you. What's the biggest storm you're gonna face right now with Jesus? Just that my family would grow up to know Jesus and to love him. I 
lot of times I have that fear that they wouldn't. I'm just going to trust Jesus that they will. That that will always uh, be provided for uh, by the Lord. I guess the fear would be that, you know, just I, I wouldn't we wouldn't have enough or, you know, to, to get by on or to really get ahead to where we want to be. But uh, God has always been there for us and we've always had more than enough and I trust he'll continue to surprise us. Um, I think mine would be promotions at work. We have enough now, and we're good in finances, but I would like to have more and to do more with my family. Mine's exactly the same as Ishmael, um, that my son and my other son that's, that's about to be born in February, to also get to grow up to know Jesus as the personal Lord and Savior. I'm just going to trust Jesus that they're going to be okay, and they're going to encounter God and continue to grow in Him, but not fear that they will not depart from the faith that my wife and I uh, daily give them, so that's it. I'm going to walk with Jesus against the fear that something bad will happen to my children or my husband, um, fear of the unknown, the future, and things like that. I am going to trust Jesus with their lives and their futures. Mine is almost the same as Lauren's, just that if the day of tragedy were ever to come to my family, just that fear of, of losing my children or my husband or anybody in our family um, that I could still say that this is the day that the Lord has made I will rejoice and be glad in it and know that his light uh, will always continue to shine no matter what storm we face my biggest my fear that I will trust Jesus in is that you know that he will always provide you know for me and Bertha financially in the future when we're married and for our future children and we're going to trust Jesus that he will do all things in Jesus name Would you hold the person's hand standing next to you? Let's pray right now as a family. I just feel a special anointing. As we dismiss, we're going to worship. And if you would like prayer for the storms you're facing, let our prayer workers pray with you. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We pray that we'll all live for you. We'll have courage to face these storms with you. I pray that you'll keep us safe, God. Give us a wonderful holiday season this time of the year. Many people are open to the gospel, even though many are sad because they're missing their loved ones. But let us use the openness to the gospel, to your birth, to preach everywhere we go. And may we come back here with our friends and family, telling the testimonies of what you've done in the middle of the storm, worshiping you as the Son of God, our Messiah. In Jesus' name, can you give it up for Jesus one more time? Amen. Come on, God bless you. Slap your neighbor high five and say, walk on the water with Jesus. Oh, you're never. Come on, walk on the water with Jesus. You're dismissed. Have a great week. Come up for prayer or worship. Otherwise, we'll see you at life groups. Thank you. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let Cause you are good, you are good, you're good.
As we get ready to sing that verse, those of you who are coming up to pray, oh, just believe today that God is with you and that all things are possible. Let the King, let the King of my heart be the mountain where I run. The those who are getting prayer today, God is coming to you. You're going to walk on the water with Jesus today. Let the King of my 